Hello, and welcome to Career Stories, where we talk about life after business school. My name is Cindy Hosey. I am an executive coach with Graduate Career Services at Indiana University's Kelly School of Business. Here at GCS, we are passionate about coaching young professionals to launch meaningful, rewarding careers. Our guest today is Anuj Mali. Anuj graduated from the Kelly School of Business with a master's degree in information systems in 2013. He is currently a consultant with PwC in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. So Anuj, when I came across your LinkedIn post that you were looking for people to join your practice in the Netherlands, I stood up and did a little cheer because the last time I saw you, you were here in Bloomington and you told me that you didn't get the H-1B. Tell me a little bit about that journey and what happened. Sure, absolutely. Since I graduated from MSIS, I joined PwC. And I was essentially working with them based on my OPT and then the OPT STEM extension. Mm-hmm. The firm placed an application in the H-1B lottery three years. And for three years in a row, I was not picked at all. By the time I was not picked the second time, I kind of knew something was up. And I knew that... Uh, there is no guarantee that the third time would be a lucky charm. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I kind of reached out to my entire network within PwC. Uh, everyone that I had worked with in the past, be it people at my level, my peers, or people who were just above me, or even senior directors and partners. And I informed them that I might come to, to a situation where I might have to leave the country. And unfortunately, as of June 2017, that did happen. Uh, I -hmm. found out that I had not been picked. And I had about six months to find another opportunity for myself because that was when my OPT would expire. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty good runway. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, But so I, I did the whole thing again. Everyone that I had reached out to before and even more people this time, and I said the same thing is that I'm looking for global opportunities. Uh, I'm having to leave the country through essentially no fault of my own. Right. Uh, so I did get a few leads based on my networks. My resume went out to, I think, about 15 to 20 different places. And eventually, there was some interest from the Netherlands from a partner and a manager. Mm -hmm. And it was actually quite funny because the person who had introduced me to them from PwC in the US was a peer of mine. It wasn't someone very senior. So it was just uh, another senior consultant who was Mm -hmm. working alongside me. And that eventually led to me interviewing with the Dutch firm. And eventually I got an offer, uh, which I accepted. And I have been here ever since for the last uh, more than 12 months now. Mm-hmm. And now we are looking to build our practice here as well. So that is why uh, the post came up uh, on LinkedIn. So tell me, you've been there for 12 months. What do you find yep. is different from PwC Netherlands from PwC in Chicago? So I don't think that the kind of work that you do is very different. I think 
basically at the end of the day uh, the work that is done across all these professional services uh, organizations is pretty similar and i would say not even just pwc if you look across uh, not even across geography but across firms so if you look at wise or the deloits of the world we all do pretty much similar work there are subtle differences obviously the dutch are known for being a little more direct whereas comparatively i would say americans are a little bit more politically correct mm-hmm. uh, so that is something that i had to get used to i mean i had to learn that they are not trying to be rude to me it's just the way dutch people are uh, are built and in fact i would say most europeans as well mm-hmm. apart from that i would say what i didn't realize when i was in america is how big the market is over there the market here is much smaller the yeah. netherlands is a country of 16 million people so you can imagine everything is scaled down uh, on that basis yeah uh, so the projects that i do here are a little bit smaller the teams that you work with are a little bit smaller as well but what has really helped is all the skills that i picked up in the us and the experience that i picked up in the us i have been able to carry that forward here and uh, translate it i'll say reasonably successfully so far so what would you say are the skills that have served you the most i remember most your positivity and that wonderful smile <laughs> uh, <laughs> to be honest yes the soft skills are the most important things that i picked up in the us because again to be honest anyone can pick up a book and anyone can pick up on technical skills you know you can follow online courses there are a lot of resources available now mm-hmm. but it's really the soft skills communicating with other people in my case since i was reaching out to so many people since i was interviewing in so many places is how i told my story how i communicated it and how i structured it in a way that the person who is listening to it is not bored out of their minds either i remember coming to a point where we were practicing for interviews and you were just so bored with your own story we had to shake it up <laughs> yeah yeah so that that's what i try to do now i i guess like again cookie cutter answers it was one thing that i realized during my interviews as well is that all these practice answers and copy counter answers don't really cut it every single time so it's important to know your audience and it's important to know you know what they would be receptive to and what they would find a little bit boring as well yeah and i feel like you got to a place where you just knew your story so well that it spilled out much more naturally and much more conversationally yeah absolutely and I don't think I'm unique in any way. I think that everyone that comes in to the MSIS program whether it's uh you know someone who's born and brought up in uh, the United States or if you have international students, I think everyone has a very interesting story to tell. Everyone comes from really interesting backgrounds and they've had interesting things happen to them in their life. It's just a question of how you communicate it. and how you structure it is what really matters and it's what makes your story really heard so that's something that i've you know I'm, i'm still working on to be honest i'm not perfect at it 
I look up to people who are, you know, at levels above me and the way they talk and the way they communicate. And I'm always trying to pick up from them still as well. Yeah, because our stories keep changing as we change and grow and our environments change. Yes, absolutely. I uh, definitely think so. I think that over the period of time that I was at MSIS, I was pretty much interviewing throughout the entire yes. months that I was there. <laughs> Through the 18 months, I think my story had changed quite a bit as well. So I think you should be a little self-conscious about that. And when uh, just try and incorporate something, you know, even if on the day of your interview, if you have something interesting happen to you in the morning, so maybe try and sprinkle that in as well. It's something that might interest the interviewer as well. So I want to rewind the clock because you were in the MSIS program in 2013 and 2014. I believe you graduated in December of 2014, right? That's correct, yep. What are some of your most memorable moments from when you were here in Bloomington? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so... I have a, I've had a lot of really memorable moments. I think one of the most memorable ones was when I finally received my first offer, which was from PwC as well, uh, coincidentally, because uh, by that time I was, you know, you kind of know, but I had gone through a little bit of a hard time. And to finally know that I was you know, getting a job offer and that I did not have to worry so much anymore. And that I was on par with my friends and my peers who also had job offers and some of them had them weeks and months in advance before me. So I think that feeling was, was probably you know one of the most memorable experiences that I've had. So I always have a tendency to look at silver linings and I don't mean to diminish the difficulty of your journey at all, but how do you think having to interview so much and and to really work for that job offer, how do you think that served you now? I think interviewing skills, uh, the way we are taught to answer the questions, especially in behavioral interviews, to structure your answers, to structure your stories, I think it's really helped me going forward in my professional life as well. Because that's one thing that I felt like I lacked before I came into the MSIS program. I was told that I had good technical skills and good communication skills. Mm -hmm. But somewhere along the lines, like we, like we spoke about before, my stories tended, tended to get a little bit boring. I think maybe I was a little too tense. Mm -hmm. um, and I was, you know, kind of rattling off the same thing that I had practiced a hundred times. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that really helped going through all of those different interviews and again coming to you and telling you that I was bored of my own story was that <laughs> I realized that there is a way in which I can make my answers structured and organized but at the same time not be you know, going on about something which which is something that I've practiced so many times before it, it should not look so rehearsed you know it should it should look natural because at the end of the day when you're talking to someone what you want to do is make that person feel comfortable and mm -hmm. that's something that I picked up from you as well you know giving a smile when you walk into a room that really makes the person who you are meeting for the first time in a lot of cases mm -hmm. feel quite comfortable and it puts them at ease and essentially it's it's a really positive start to 
your interview or to your conversation. Yeah. What else makes you smile when you remember Bloomington? <laughs> the t-shirts, the free t-shirts. So <laughs> I'm actually, it's quite funny. I'm in a Kelly t-shirt right now. No kidding. Uh, yeah. I, I go around running in Amsterdam in some of my old Kilroy t-shirts as well sometimes. I really miss that part. I really miss the energy because as there's a lot of young students there. And, you know, it's just like so full of life and like there's there's a whole world out there waiting for them. Um, so I really miss that. Uh, but one thing that I didn't realize that I would miss and I really do miss that a lot now is the access that I had to resources while I was at IU. Whether that be really smart people. So yeah. we, we always had, you know, the people that I could approach for advice on uh, on the faculty, the likes of Professor Tony Gurth, who I don't believe is there anymore. Even apart from that, Professor Bippin, uh, or even the student advisors uh, were really nice with that. We don't really have that when you're in the corporate world. You're pretty much out there on your own. Yeah. Apart from that, uh, also knowledge resources. So... Uh, you have access to so many different classes while you are at IU, which you can pick and choose, mm-hmm. which I feel would have been so interesting right now. Uh, you know, five years into my profession, I, I feel like I, and I, I've seen this as a common trend amongst people who graduate after five years is they feel like having the urge to maybe go back to school and learning a little bit more because you value it so much more. Mm. Yes, and, uh, I, I was a better student later in my career than I was right out of high school or, yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And you see that a lot, like uh, even the MBAs, you, you mm-hmm. see the most, uh, and the MSI students will notice this as well, is when you sit in some of the MBA classes, some of the mm-hmm. most enthusiastic people are, the more and older MBA students, people maybe in their mid-30s or early 40s. I think they have more context to put the concepts into. Yeah, absolutely, because you have been working in the real world. So mm-hmm. it all starts to make sense. You know, the mm-hmm. dots start to connect for you. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to participate as well. So if a student, a current student were to reach out to you and, and talk with you, what would be a gift that they could give? Because so, so often students feel like, oh, I don't want to be a bother. I don't feel like I have anything to offer if I network with alumni. I think in a lot of cases, alumni are happy to help out students. I think that if the approach is genuine, you know, it's not just uh, a copy-paste email that you send to everyone, uh, you know, really making an effort to get to know them uh, or to seek their help, then that really helps. Mm-hmm. As for gifts, like I don't, I don't think anyone really wants a gift. I think for me, throughout my journey, because I've been through so many situations, I've had to reach out to a lot of MSIS alumni myself. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times I had the same question that, you know, I, or same doubts in my head that I should not be contacting them because... I'm probably bothering them in their busy schedule. Yeah. But now that I have, I am an uh, MSIS alumnus myself, I don't really feel bothered when people reach out to me. I'm happy to help them out because people before me have helped me so much. 
and at the end of the day it's it's about growing your network as well you know a lot of people who i reached out to right now are at quite senior levels within their respective firms and they are looking to build teams of their own mm-hmm. if they see that you have potential you know at some point maybe you can have a working relationship with them so that is also always very useful to have well i was thinking not in terms of physical gifts like they send you a box of chocolate or something like that but more like what about intellectual gifts what about sharing some of the things that they are learning in the classroom now that you no longer have access to yeah i i think one of the things that really helps me when i talk to people who are still in school or who have just graduated is mm-hmm. just to know their thought process because i feel like every year the group of students evolves a little bit mm-hmm. they become a little bit smarter uh, they know a little bit more than the the batch before them or the class before them and i was just reading about this the workforce of the future and mm-hmm. they were talking about how students today they can't afford to have a specialization in their job like it's going to be they're going to have pretty much flexible skills and basic problem solving skills so i'm just interested in knowing their way of thinking and you know how how it is that they actually educate themselves on some of the latest trends in the market in the, in our case uh, specifically technology trends but but that is something that interests me and also to know about their projects i think that this was about 4 years ago but i think this is a very relevant example Mm-hmm. Uh, we were working on a student project with a group of MSI students. It was their capstone project, and mm-hmm. they were working on a project in blockchain mm-hmm. before it went so mainstream. Yeah. So, again, if you get to know about topics like these well in advance, I think that puts you like really ahead of the curve. So you were on the recruiting team with PwC as well, right? Yes. While I was in the US, I was part of the US recruiting team as well. So how is that being on the other side of the table? <laughs> uh I actually I actually found it quite a lot of fun. Yeah. Because while I was on the student side I was I was so nervous and I used to go up to these people and I used to be like you know I got to talk to them and I got to draw their attention and I got to keep them entertained but being on the other side I was quite relaxed and uh you know i had no pressure on me uh, i just had students come up to me and talk to me and i kind i kind of could empathize with them so i used to like try and have, be as friendly with them as possible and try to make try it easy have, for like, them yeah yeah uh, try and have a genuine conversation with them and just put them at ease and uh, yeah it's, that was a really great experience so i i kind of missed that to be honest so if you're allowed to share What were some of the things that the recruiting team would talk about after an event? So again I think that it's it's quite basic. If you would imagine that you are with your group of friends and you meet a new person and that new person introduces themselves to the group and then that new person goes away and then you talk amongst your group about what you thought of that new person. I don't think it's anything different than that. We don't judge anyone too harshly or anything mm-hmm. if the person comes across as being genuine 
being nice as obviously being sharp then those are things that are definitely appreciated mm-hmm. there are obviously certain uh, red flags you get certain kind of questions say for example about money mm-hmm. or about money that you make specifically or something about if the interviewee or the or the student corrects the recruiter the mm. recruiter does not like it at all uh, and that's, <laughs> that's something that i've heard multiple times yeah so just just don't be a a wise ass i guess and you should try yeah so if you could give advice to your former self what what kind of advice would you have given yourself looking back I think that like 5 years into my job I've realized that I've actually spent more time working now already than double the time actually that I spent at IU. Yeah. So one piece of advice that I would give to myself is that your time at IU is about 12 months or 18 months or 24 months depending on what you make it. Mhm. but your career is probably going to last for about 30 to 35 years mhm so while it's really important to get a job and while it's really important to ha- make that first step and to be secured and to be able to pay off student debt you should also consider the fact that you are spending very little time in school and should make the most of it and when i say make the most of it uh it's for back to my original point about the access to resources that you have at iu mm-hmm. so try and really find your career interest what really drives you you don't want to be working for 30 to 35 years on something that you hate mm. you're going to have to be going in from monday to friday every single day in the morning and coming back home in the evening and then doing that again next week yes. so it should not be something that you get up in the morning and dread the fact that this is what i'm going to be doing so find what really drives you and what really motivates you and try and chase that try and find a path to that even if it's not the first thing that you do right out of msis I love that advice. I totally love it because here's the thing that I see because I coach professionals that are 10, 20, 30 years into their careers and they're always chasing the next best version of themselves because we conquer the current mountain and we want the next range to to continue to grow and develop. So, yes, it's a it's a long long journey but you can keep designing and creating the career that you love the work that you love if you stay open to those new opportunities yeah absolutely and i think that the, the point again is that in in college uh, or when you are even uh, in grad school there are these small hints that you pick up that you kind of feel like you, you know this is what i want to do for the rest of my career or maybe this is where i want to get to for me i had this one point in time one incident where i just went for an information session for bain and one of the recruiters there was a bain consulting himself and 
somebody asked him this question about what is the most interesting project that he has ever done in his career <laughs> and he spoke about how the us government had actually engaged bain to help them to grow some kind of indigenous industry in a village in afghanistan so that hmm. the youth over there would not be drawn into terrorism hmm. and i heard about this and i was like this sounds really really cool and this is what i want to do at some point in my life or this is the kind of work that i want to do in my life this is this is something that really interests me and i can't say that i have found something like that yet but i'm trying to find my path there and it, at least you have like an end goal that you're chasing towards yeah you mentioned in our email exchange that you are working on some really cool projects right now yep so part of the reason why i moved to the netherlands was that the netherlands is known for its sustainability and circular economy initiatives Mm-hmm. and while i was searching for a new job when i knew that i had to leave the us i saw that as a chance i saw that as an opportunity to steer my career in a direction that i would like to steer it into not mm-hmm. that i hated what i was doing or anything but it just wasn't enough you know what i mean um, yeah. i i just i wanted something which was a little bit more motivational I hear you pulling some values into your work. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, I guess it it comes back to that like I didn't again did not understand this when we had these uh, info sessions mm-hmm. and all these firms spoke about their different values and they they said that you know your values need to match with our values and I just at the time I thought it was kind of mumbo jumbo little bit but uh, <laughs> I kind of understand what they're saying now. Yeah. Um, so what are you working on there? Uh, so I work uh I'm trying to work more within sustainability. Last year I did a project where we encourage social enterprises. So these are startups where profit is not their main motive. They are also associated with one of the 17 UN sustainable development goals. Mm-hmm. and then the winner gets uh, a cash prize and formal coaching or advisory support from PwC since then i have been now working on the impact that emerging technologies like artificial intelligence like blockchain mm-hmm. can have on the un sustainable development goals mm-hmm. and how the how these goals can be boosted by the use of these emerging technologies that just sounds so cool and so smart <laughs> i can't begin to wrap my mind around what you must do each day i i just work with really smart people i'm trying to get smart about it myself believe me <laughs> All right, well, so I want to honor your time, Anoush, and I also want to honor our listeners' time. If any of them have enjoyed what they've heard you talking about and it kind of aligns with their values or or with questions they may have about career planning, would you be okay if they reached out to you? Yeah, so uh, if you have made it this far in the podcast, congratulations firstly for not falling asleep. <laughs> And uh, secondly, uh, you can reach out to me via LinkedIn. 
Apart from that, please don't feel shy to reach out to me or to any of the other alumni. If one does not respond, then another one will, and just keep trying. Well, thank you, Anuj. I really appreciate your time. Sure. As we close today's podcast, I want to compliment Anuj on having the courage to navigate obstacles and design a career path that aligns with his unique skills and values. Building awareness of who you are and being able to articulate it in a meaningful way is important at every stage of your career. If you'd like to get in touch with Anuj, reach out to him on LinkedIn and tell him you heard him on the podcast. To learn more about graduate career services at the Kelly School of Business, email gcshelp at indiana.edu. I'm Cindy Hosey. Thanks for listening to Career Stories.